You ever wonder what heaven is going to be like? Like, have you ever really sat back and thought, I wonder what it's going to be like? So we, we make up things like, okay, they're probably playing golf in heaven. By the way, we're going to be playing golf on Saturday. Thank you, Mark, for getting that together. If you want to get in on that, Mark's a guy to see. Mark, raise your hand up. If you want to golf with a bunch of guys that are crazy golfers on uh, Saturday, really only one of us knows what they're doing, right, Pat? And so, uh, <laughs> so we're going to go hit the ball around, and Pat's going to put up with us. So uh, That'll be fun. Ask Mark if you're interested in that. But some people say, you know, we're going to golf in heaven. I think we're going to fly fish in heaven. But in reality, if you actually stopped and, you know, put all of those stories aside, just think to yourself, what is heaven going to be like? Well, a lot of people have thought about this and spent much time. And one of my favorite books, you know, is Pilgrim's Progress, the last chapter of Pilgrim's Progress. They're crossing this river and they're greeted into heaven. And John Bunyan, whose pastor, wrote this uh, wrote this uh, fable, wrote this story of, of uh, metaphor of the Christian life. He, uh, he uh, writes how they cross the river and they're greeted into heaven and the gates open and they walk through and there's songs and there's music and their smell is incredible. And he said, then the gates closed and I wish I was with them and I can't tell you anything else that happened inside. And you're going, oh, come on, give us something. Um, or C.S. Lewis. You know Chronicles of Narnia? You've seen this one? Chronicles of Narnia, last chapter. The kids are in Narnia one more time, and, and all of a sudden you, you get to the very last chapter. It's called The Great War, I think, and at the end of it, uh, C.S. Lewis writes these words about when these kids finally realize that they are uh, no longer on earth, but they're now with, um, uh, in the new earth for all eternity. And here's what C.S. Lewis writes in Chronicles of Narnia. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is the morning. Aslan speaking to them. Aslan is a picture of Jesus. And uh, Aslan the lion speaks to them and explains to them what they're about to encounter in heaven or in eternity. And as he spoke, C.S. Lewis writes, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful I cannot write them. And as for this, the end of all the stories, we can and most truly do say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and their adventures in Narnia had been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were the beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which each chapter, every chapter is better than the one before. Is that good? We all wonder about the splendor of heaven. We write, write songs about it. Like uh, uh, you heard this song, uh, I Can Only Imagine, right? You know that song, I Can Only Imagine. Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? Good questions to ask. These are speculation that we have about what heaven is going to be like, what eternity is going to be like, and we come across these honestly. Uh, I mean, this is a reasonable question that we have in our minds. Paul actually was given a glimpse into heaven. Did you know that? Paul the Apostle in Scripture was given a glimpse into heaven, and he wrote about it in Scripture. And you know what he wrote about it? Nothing. This is what he writes about it in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. I know this man, speaking probably of himself, I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, only God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Ah, oh, come on, give me something, something about heaven. But even Paul, who was there, can't give us. Do you ever wonder about Lazarus? Lazarus was dead, you know, bit the big one. He was gone, kicked the bucket, bought the farm. He's in the grave. Jesus raises him from the dead, and he's alive. Now, we don't know how long he lived afterwards, but he lived for a while afterwards and died again. I imagine Lazarus was the most, most ticked off man in all human history <laughs> because he had to come back here from there, right? Can you imagine talking to Lazarus at the breakfast table? You're sitting there going, okay, I, I know you've said you, you don't remember, you can't talk about it, or it's too beautiful, or whatever. Give me something. Just give me something. Was, uh, did you, uh, was the gold on the streets, was that actually the case? Was, was, it, uh, was Aunt Gertrude there? Uh, did you see God? You know, is Ralphie up there? You know, is, the, is, is our dog up there? Just give me something. And Lazarus is going, I can't remember. I don't know. I can't, I can't bring it. There. You were there, man. Try, man. Try. Can you imagine? Talking to Lazarus, when Lazarus was gone, he, he couldn't remember or he couldn't, wasn't able to speak about it other. I want to tell you, the Bible has surprisingly little to say about what heaven is like. Did you know that? It says a lot about what hell is like, by the way. 
the other place. But it doesn't say a lot about what heaven is like. It does, however, say a lot about what our eternal dwelling place will be like. Now, that's the difference. The two are not the same. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Let me first of all clarify and say that I know heaven is absolutely real. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus said it. So that's how I know it. Remember the thief on the cross? Right? Hanging on the cross? And the thief is like the two thieves, or one thief is like bantering with Jesus and, and you know, belittling him. And the other thief says, you obviously don't know who you're talking to. Right? This man has done no wrong. And Jesus said, Man, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, does Jesus lie? No. no. So today means? That means when that thief died that day, which is good news and bad news. You know, he's hanging on the cross, so it's probably good he knows he's going to die soon. He don't want to hang there forever. Bad news is he's going to die. Good news is that he's going to be in heaven with Jesus. That's a good promise. So we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? That is an absolute truth. So we know heaven is real. We know that heaven is temporary because we don't get a body in heaven. You know how I know that? Because you can dig up the grave of the thief on the cross and he's still, the body's still there, right? The people that we bury here, their spirits are no longer with them. Their bodies stay here, but there will be a day when we get our bodies back. This is called our glorified state. And we are supposed to apparently, according to God, speak about this quite often. Here's how I know that. 1 Thessalonians 4. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, starting verse 13. We are written these words so that we don't wonder or be scared or be fearful of what is to come. Listen to this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That The Bible calls those who know Jesus Christ... It doesn't call that, those folks dead. Uh, maybe once in a long while, almost all the time, it says that they are asleep. It does not mean that they're sleeping. It means that death is not a reality for them. It means that when you see the body, you might think they're here no more. And you would be right, but they're somewhere. They're with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right? So the Bible calls it asleep because death is not a reality for believers. I go on. About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's the gospel church, right? Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have what church? Those who have fallen asleep. Their spirits come back with Jesus. Their bodies are still here. Those who have fallen asleep, God will bring with him. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, Scripture says, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There you have it again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the shout, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And there you have it. Their bodies will rise first. First, we who are alive will not precede them. Their bodies will rise before we go to meet the Lord. They will meet the Lord in the air. They will be united with their spirits and they'll get their bodies back. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then I love this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words are meant to be an encouragement to us who live in a world of death. Because we can easily be persuaded that death is the end. And the Bible says, no, no, no. Every page screams, no, no, no. The gospel screams, no, no, no. Don't buy it. This life isn't all that there is. And if your body expires here, you still get to be with the Lord. And there will come a day when you get your body back and that's glorification. Glorification doesn't happen until Jesus returns. We say this every communion service, literally every Sunday. We say this, do this as often as you drink it in, re in remembrance of me. Uh, do this as often as, as, for as often as you do this in remembrance of me, you do this until the Lord comes. Oh, I read it every Sunday and I'm getting it all confused. But you do this until the Lord comes back, right? 
The Lord will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, this verse says that God will bring with him people who are with him. That means that when we expire here, we are with him. He brings us with him, right? So we know that. We do not proceed. Those of us who are alive do not proceed. Those who are already with him, so they are with him. And the dead in Christ will receive a body. So your body may burn, get minced up, even be lost. But on the day Jesus returns, you get your body back. And by the way, this is a process that cannot be stopped. Another truth of scripture, listen to this in Romans 8 verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. This is talking about Jesus solidifying our spirits until the day of redemption, until we're glorified. Listen, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Remember that one, justification where we are made righteous, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. Does that strike you as odd? No, because you're as good as glorified already. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, in God's mind, you're as good as glorified already. Now, you're not, because I'm looking at you, and you all look like you're decaying a little bit. <laughs> Except for those under 20. <laughs> no, Sorry. Every one of us fights decay, don't we? We take medicines for it. We join the gym for it. We pump up as much as we can for it. We exercise, blah, 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 blah. But bottom line is, every one of us is in a process of decay even now. And someday we'll decay to the point where we can't stand up anymore unless Jesus returns. The news about this, about glorification, is that you get your body back and it no longer has any signs of decay. So what age would you like to be? How strong do you want to be? You want to be Arnold? Maybe you'll be Arnold one day and like, like uh, you know, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy's, uh, anyway. Maybe you can be different things. I don't know. If God chose you to be his follower, you are as good as glorified already. In God's mind, it is a one process that can never be stopped. We are meant to know about this. We're meant to talk about this. We're meant to be encouraged by this truth. Paul believes this doctrine is so important that he gets right to this topic after he talks about the gospel. Do you remember the, the, verse that we, uh, the chapter that we were in when we started talking about the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, all about the gospel. This I want you to really know. Paul starts off by the whole series in, in uh, his whole conversation in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I want you to be reminded of the gospel. The gospel is important. And it's very interesting to me that as he goes through talking about the gospel, he inevitably goes through to the doctrine of glorification. One thing leads to the other. So we have to know what the gospel is. If we're going to have any hope of being glorified, we cannot get the gospel mixed up. So church, here's our homework today. We get to do this one more time. Do you know what the gospel is? We've gone over this a couple of times. Let's do it, all right? Here's the gospel. If you need your cliff notes, they are up on the screen, all right? Because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But it's simple. It is the sinless life of Jesus. It is the absolute death of Jesus for sins. It is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He did not raise it a spirit. He did die and he did bodily rise from the dead. And it is the appearance of Jesus to multitudes after the resurrection. Let's say it together, all right? It is the sinless life of Jesus, the death of Jesus for all sin, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and the appearance of Jesus to multitudes after the resurrection. That is the gospel. Now, you may get a lot of other things wrong with your, with your doctrine, and some things you can afford to get wrong, and some things we can give grace to. Some things are first level, second level, third level. Some things are really, really important, but the gospel, or some things are, are negotiable, but the gospel is one that is absolutely non-negotiable. If you can say the gospel without saying Jesus' name, you are not saying the gospel. Now, I know that flies in the face of culture today, doesn't it? I can give the gospel and not use Jesus' name. No, not according to Scripture, you can't. Because the gospel is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. He lived. He died. He rose. He appeared. That is the gospel. How can you have the gospel without including Jesus Christ? 
Now, here's where the gospel leads. The gospel leads to resurrection, glorification. This is our hope. It's our purpose. This is our ultimate celebration of Jesus' own victory. Now, I realize it is tough to believe that people rise from the dead. It is is tough. Um, So, the question is, Craig, can we let this one go? Is this one doctrine that we absolutely have to get right? Well, let's talk about it a little bit this morning. There is no gospel without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you can produce Jesus' body in a tomb today, we're all wasting our time. If Jesus died and he's still in the tomb, then we lose. Right? You're giving your money to the church, you are wasting your cash. You should really keep it. You, you are sending missionaries across the world, you really don't need to do that. That's really a waste of time. I have wasted my entire career. This is what Paul talks about as he works through the gospel and goes to the doctrine of glorification in 1 Corinthians 15. If the gospel is not true, then our hope is not true. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, who he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Get it? If Jesus is not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain, your hope is in vain, this is a waste of time, and you're listening to a liar. There's a lot riding on the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. And I would also say this. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, resurrection is a convenient lie we tell each other so that we don't feel bad in this life. You imagine the funerals that we do and we lie to people? You know, Gertrude is in heaven right now. It makes you feel better, but it's a lie. If Jesus did not raise from the dead... But in fact, Jesus has risen from the dead. In fact, we have a cross in our church that is empty because Jesus is not here bodily anymore. He is here in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. He is here every time we gather. He is here when we celebrate and worship. But bodily, Jesus is at the right hand of the the Father. He goes on to say in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know what first fruits mean there? First fruits simply means he is the first of what we can expect ourselves. There's going to be a lot of resurrections, a lot of them. Hopefully, you'll be included. And he is the first fruits, which means he is the one we can look at and say, okay, like he is, that's how I'm going to be. Let me read on. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 22. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Jesus Christ. When will we be glorified? When do we get a body? At the coming of Jesus Christ. You don't get one until then. You are in spirit in heaven and you can't golf. I don't know what you're doing, but you're probably not golfing. Golfing requires hand-eye coordination. Now, I, don't, I honestly don't know what you'll be doing in heaven. And we're not, again, we're not told a lot about what heaven is like. But I'm confident that one day I will have hands, eyes, feet, heart. God created us at the beginning like we will be at the end, except no chance of sinning. All sin removed. Jesus' resurrected body shows us what our resurrected body is going to look like, is going to be like. So what did Jesus do with his resurrected body? Well, he walked around. He ate. He, he was walked through walls. I don't know how that happened. He could have walked through, he walked through the walls in the upper room. We know that to be true because the doors were locked from the inside. The Bible goes, uh, tells us that it goes out of a way to tell us. But the stone was rolled away. He could have walked through the stone. Stone was rolled away. God, in his mercy, rolled the stone away so that not Jesus could get out because apparently he could walk through the stone. It's so that we could see in. And broke the seal. 
at his coming. This, this is not talking about, oh, oh, and so he ate, so he, he, he walked around, he could be seen, he talked, he had a vocal cords, he could, he could speak, talked to Mary at the tomb, talked to the guys on the beach, had fish breakfast with them. Jesus someday is going to come back, and this is not talking about when you die. It's talking about when Jesus comes back and you get your body back. Now, for those people that Paul is writing to in Corinthians, this was an even harder thing to believe than it is for us, believe it or not. In Paul's day, there were a lot of Greek philosophers going around, and most philosophies of the Greek nature looked at the body in a negative way. Did you know that? Epicureanism, hedonism, um, cynicism. These were all, all uh, philosophies in the Greek culture that people were buying into. And most of them looked at the body in a negative way. It's disgusting. It's, uh, it needs to be fed. It, 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 it goes unconscious for times at a time so it can regenerate. The body is a bad thing. And so when you talked about resurrection from the dead, you're talking to a bunch of people, that are, a bodily resurrection from the dead. You're talking to a bunch of people that say, no, nah, there's no bodily resurrection from the dead. There's no resurrection from the dead at all. But to say that you're going to get a body back, that's absolutely not true because the body is bad. The flesh is bad. The spirit might be good if we're going to say that there is a spirit. Most Greek philosophies didn't believe there is a spirit. But if there was, spirit might be good, but the body is bad. Some, philosophy, some philosophies in, in the Greek culture in, in Paul's day said the body was so bad that they used their bodies in terrible ways. They would do terrible things in public, in the middle of the streets, to prove a point that the body was disgusting. Paul is not going down that road. But Paul is talking to a bunch of people that would definitely not include in their eschatology, their version of end times, a tangible, hands-on kind of physical body. The bottom line is simply this. Paul is not battling people about whether we're going to be raised from the dead. They didn't believe that. They simply didn't believe the gospel at all. Because the gospel was based on the fact that one person had already raised from the dead. And they couldn't believe that. And so they mocked. You can, you can see this uh, through, through history, how they mocked Christians. But still the church grew. <laughs> In fact, Paul even quotes a philosophy of theirs that they had. Maybe you've heard this phrase, you've always wondered where it came from. Paul quotes this philosophy from the Greek culture, and he acknowledges that if there is no resurrection, there's no reason to live well. He says, if the dead are not raised, verse 32, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So what are you trying to be good for? Live it up, because that's what the Greeks believed. The fact of the matter is the gospel is realized in a bodily resurrection of every follower of Jesus. And so the people would react with one word, and this brings me to my first point. Oh, that was introduction. Here's the first point. One word, inconceivable. Yes. <laughs> Inconceivable. How is it possible that a, that a body would come back to life? I mean, how many of you have seen The Walking Dead, right? That, if you're coming back to life, it's going to be gross, right? Nobody has ever seen somebody walk around that has been dead except for those who have been resurrected, resurrected in Scripture and Jesus Christ himself. And so we come to the first question of our day. Verse 35, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come back in? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This is an inconceivable reality, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It is an inconceivable reality. The physical has to be put off in order to raise to a new spiritual reality. Now, the Bible, uh, Paul will call this in 1 Corinthians 15, he'll call it our spiritual body. I do not want you to get mixed up with our spirit in heaven. Paul is not talking about a spirit in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about our resurrected body and he calls it our spiritual body. Verse 37. And what you saw is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
Paul is about to give them a, a, a comparison lesson. He says, you're trying to think of what your body is going to be like when you are raised from the dead. That is a really hard description to give you. It's kind of like when you see a seed and then the tree that the seed makes. It's hard to imagine this little tiny acorn makes that incredible tree. This is the analogy, the comparison that Paul is making. He's saying you cannot compare one to the other. There's nothing about that acorn that looks like that tree. There's nothing about this seed that looks like what will come out of the seed. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that if you don't plant the seed, you get the tree. It's an inconceivable reality. Your physical body cannot be used as a comparison to your resurrected body. He says this in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That's what we live in now. But what is raised is what, church? Imperishable. Imperishable. It doesn't decay. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Body. Again, not talking about our bodies in heaven. This is talking about the potential of your body because you are made in the image of God. God makes you in his image. That makes you different from other things around. You have a spirit and a soul. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, someday that spirit and soul gets reunited from your body with your body and you get it back again in a new form. Paul has a hard time describing what this new body is going to be like, and so that's why he uses the analogy of the tree. How do you describe a, a relationship that is pure joy? How do you describe a body that is completely devoid of any influence of sin? It's hard because we don't know anything. We look at a beautiful person and say, wow, they're beautiful. That's the closest thing we have. But yet, even in their beauty, it is De defective because of sin. When you look at a sunrise, I love sunrises. I saw a beautiful sunrise the other day. I'm looking at the sunrise and going, beautiful. I love the sunrise. That sunrise is infected and affected by sin. Your little baby, your little baby, little Corbin. Megan's in the other room? Okay, so I'll use Corbin as an example. Little Corbin, you know, I love him. He's so cute. He's walking around with his little drums banging on his dad's head. Love little Corbin running around, right? Corbin is flawless, right? No, he's flawed. He's there's, there, he has a sinful nature. He is infected and affected by sin. Someday you will live in a world that is not infected or affected by sin. And you will live in a body that is not infected or affected by sin. It is unbelievable, hard to explain. How do you explain a color you've never seen before? How do you explain a song you've never heard before? Notes that have never been invented yet. We know this to be true because when Peter and John, you remember when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration? And Jesus for a moment pulled back this veil of his humanness and let them see his glorified look. That's why we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He let them see a glorified look. And they didn't describe it. All they said was, oh, oh, we, uh, let's build a church. <laughs> Let's build a temple right here. We got, we got to do something because that was fantastic. When Jesus showed up with Mary after the tomb, Mary had Mary been friends with this guy forever. Shows up to, to talk to Mary after the tomb and whether she was so distressed she didn't recognize him or whether it was just him in his glorified form, she did not recognize him even when he asked her a question until he said Mary and he let her see who he was. I don't know what our glorified body is going to look like, but it's going to be pretty cool because it will not be influenced, affected, or infected by sin in any way. No decay. Wouldn't that be cool? No Weight Watchers. <laughs> Goes on to talk about it in verse 45. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. First Adam is back in Genesis. Last Adam is Jesus Christ. But this is not, back to scripture, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. 
The second man is from heaven. Our bodies inherit the realities of the first Adam. But if you know Jesus Christ, the second Adam, you inherit the qualities of the second Adam. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man in heaven. That means what Jesus looked like when he was glorified is what we are going to look like when we are glorified. That's crazy, right? You are going to be, you're going to be able to look like Jesus Christ himself. This is inconceivable, but what was impossible because we are all of Adam is now possible because we are in Jesus Christ. Verse five of Romans six says this, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Isn't that cool? Whatever Jesus looked like on the Mount of Transfiguration when he peeled off the layers and let them see a glorified body you are going to look like for all eternity if you know Christ as your Savior. Inconceivable. But the key verse is in verse 52. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be, what church? Changed. That is the glorification process. So, takes me to the second point. I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> so, this is, uh, yes, this is a little walk through Princess Bride. I knew you'd enjoy that. Change, what does it mean to be changed? What does it mean to be glorified? I would suggest to you that we don't talk about it enough. We don't even understand it enough. Because we are supposed to talk about it to the point where we encourage each other with these words on a regular basis. Back to scripture, verse 51. Behold, I tell you, I love it, he uses this word, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be, what church? Changed, Changed in a moment. Bango, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This change is coming. The change is not so much about what we experience as it is about what Jesus has experienced and we only benefit from. Now that is key. Glorification is not what I get. Glorification is what Jesus won, and I get the benefits. He was glorified, I get to be glorified. He was raised, I get to be raised. He did it, he won it, he battled it out. I just live out the victory. He, will be glor he was glorified, so I will be glorified. 1 John 3, 2 says it this way. Beloved, we are God's children when? We are God's children now. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior now. That's really important now. Because if you're not in Christ now, you don't get to be in Christ then. you got to make sure you're right with God now. That's why he says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be what church? We shall be like him because we will see him as he is in his glorified state because of Jesus, because we are in Jesus and we are raised in Jesus, we will be glorified like Jesus someday, free of any sin. Listen, when you get to the new kingdom, which I have no time to talk about, which has ticked me off all week, because I would love to talk about life in the new kingdom. All I can talk about this morning, because all I have time for is our glorified body. But when you get to be in your glorified body, here's how it's going to go down. You couldn't sin if you wanted to. You couldn't offend your brother or sister even if you wanted to. You, you can't be tempted to sin and fall even if you wanted to. All sin will be eradicated from the earth. It will be erased from your body. You'll be given a new body, not affected or infected by sin. You will live in a new reality where you will be like Jesus, who, by the way, never sinned for all eternity. Wouldn't it be great to have a relationship where you never have to worry about ticking the other person off? Where you never have to walk on eggshells? Wouldn't it be great to walk through a whole day and never wonder what comes in here or what comes out of here? Glorification is not so much about you and me, though. It's about the victory that Jesus has already experienced and the benefit I received because he was glorified and is glorified already. Glorification is the fact that Jesus has won. You ever feel like sin is winning? Yeah, I do too. Every bed of sickness I stand and pray over. Every time a child contracts a rare disease and fights for their lives. 
Every time the earth swells and a tsunami wipes out a village. Every time my child makes a decision to satisfy themselves and pollutes their future. Every time a dictator ravishes his own people for his own gain. Every time a liver is eaten by cancer cells. I feel like sometimes sin is winning and I don't like it. Sin creates the conditions for us to experience loss. But the promise of glorification is that we will experience one day victory because Jesus has already won it. In the new kingdom, nobody struggles with cancer cells. In the new kingdom, there's no loss of life, no limbs, no life-threatening illnesses. You get your limbs back. You get your body back. You get your life back as it was meant to be. And we get all that not because we've done anything, but because he has done it all. And we get to live in his victory. Glorification is not so much about us becoming happier. It's about realizing a victory that Jesus has already won. It's a reality that I win because Jesus won. That's why when he raised from the dead, he said, or before he died, he said, it is what? Everything that was required for our justification and glorification was done when he died on the cross. And that's why when he raised from the dead and he met his guys again, he said, all authority has been given to me. He won. He showed up for 50 days after he won to demonstrate to us he won. No other reason. And glorification is about the reality that I win because God already won. It's his victory. I just get to live in it. Glorification may happen to us, but it is, in reality, God's ultimate glory. Your glorification is his glory. Imagine this. A world that looks like it is polluted by sin, that it is losing the battle to sin, will one day be eradicated from sin, and we will be given a glorified body that cannot sin. And someday Jesus will present us to his Father as a spotless, <laughs> free of sin bride. Not because of anything we did, because of everything he did. And we get to be with God for eternity simply because Jesus has won. That's why I love these verses that Shannon already wrote, read for us today. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall it come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of, sin, of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. Why? Because the law tells you you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. You fail, 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 lose, 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 sin, sin, sin. The law is just there to tell us you can't do it. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. We keep reminding ourselves we're sinners, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Read it with me. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He fought and won so I could ride his coattails to heaven. You want to know why you're getting to heaven? You're climbing on the broken back of a Savior. That's why you get to heaven. You'll be glorified because Jesus won. Because Jesus won, we win. Jesus won the victory for us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, like, it's like he crossed the finish line. He played the whole game by himself. He, he took the ball all the way from end zone to end zone, and then he gives it the ball to you, and he says, congratulations. And you're going, I didn't do anything. I was sitting up in the stand eating hot dogs. And he goes, nah, I win. You live out the victory. There's no way this thing should be possible. The perishable should never put on imperishable. But Jesus won the battle for us so that we could be living this possibility in real time. Why can't I afford to get this doctrine wrong? You cannot deny glorification and still believe the gospel. All right? You cannot believe the gospel 
without believing that you will be raised from the dead someday because that is a part of the gospel. <laughs> Jesus was raised. He's a first fruit. So you will be raised from the dead someday. It's a, it stands to reason. Well, Craig, can I believe in just heaven? Well, you can. Like, where do you go when you die? Heaven. Where will you be for all eternity? Heaven. Eh, not quite. You're not turning the final page there. There's, there's, there's better things on the next page. The next page is that you get to live here, earth, for all eternity. You, you, uh, new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. Read in the book of Revelation. It talks all about it in there. We're going to be buying. We're going to be selling. There's going to be people who are ruling different areas of the earth. It's all in there. You can read all about it, which is why I would love to do more about this, but I don't have time. I only have time to talk about what we, our bodies, are going to be like. And you in this new kingdom, in this new world, are going to have a body. You're going to be walking or maybe walking through stuff. That'd be cool. Or how about teleporting? I don't know. Maybe we can teleport. I don't know. We're not told any of that. All we know is that whatever body you get back, it will be a speaking, eating, talking, relationship-oriented body, and you will love it. Glorification is the final realization of the reality of the gospel. Who wants to live in heaven for all eternity? Not that I'm anxious to go to the other place, but uh, yeah, I want to I live in the new kingdom. I want to live with a body, not as a spirit. The bottom line is you cannot believe in an eternity where sin is not abolished. That's why he says again in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 15, when all things are subjected to him, the son himself will also be subjected to all uh, to him who puts all things into subjection under him, that's talking about the Father, that God may be all in all. The point is, Jesus won, so you win. Can you imagine this kind of a world where you have no chance of sinning? How does it make you feel? Excited? Anxious? Do you know how many family get-togethers are ruined because of sin? Every time you go to see somebody, you're thinking to yourself, oh, what am I going to say to Gertrude? I keep coming up with Gertrude because there's no Gertrude in here. What am I going to say to Nancy? What am I going to say to Jim? I don't know. I got to not talk about this elephant in the room. I got to not talk about this elephant. I got to walk on eggshells if we talk. No politics, for goodness sakes. Can't talk about <laughs> politics. Someday that will not be a reality. Our families have been sucked dry from sin influences, maybe not even sin that they've committed, but the fact that their bodies are decaying. It's too many funerals. Our tears have fallen too many times where death dances and the broken weep. Our own lives are hidden in embarrassment and shame for the sin we find in ourselves when we're with others that we know might know something we don't want them to know. Everything hard in this life has been influenced by sin. Everything. It's a reason we dread seeing other people. The tentacles of sin reach into all kinds of our lives. Imagine living in a world where sin no longer hinders you. It's very interesting we get glimpses of what this would be like, um, even in this world. I, uh, some adult kids of a trucker wanted me to go talk to him. He was in the hospital. He got cancer, lung cancer. <laughs> so I go to talk to him in the hospital, and he's surrounded by his family. They had just found out he had cancer. He's in the hospital. They're doing tests on him and stuff. And these two kids went to our church, and they wanted me to come and see him. And so I went, and as soon as I got in the doorway, he said, get that man out of here. So I wasn't wearing my collar, but he knew who I was. Didn't want to see me. His, his kid said, oh, he's just pastor from our church. He just wants, I don't want to see him. Get him out of my room. So I left. Uh, Thick-skinned pastors, you know. Cried my whole way home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm guessing about two weeks later, I got a call from the kids, and they said, Dad wants to see you. Okay. How's he doing? Not good. Uh, that's probably why he wants to see me then, right? Came over to the hospital. He has lung cancer. He has his mask down to here, and he's smoking a cigarette in his bed. He's a, I mean, he, when I say trucker, he's trucker like in every sense of the term, all right? I walked in. 
There were a bunch of people around. He said, everybody get out. I want to talk to this guy. So this time I got to stay and everybody else got to leave. <laughs> so I pulled my chair. I think I told this story maybe to some of you before, so forgive me if it's one. It's just so powerful in my mind. So I pulled up my chair right beside his bed, and we started talking. I said, you, uh, you asked me to come in. What's on your mind? He said, well, he said, I got to talk to you about some stuff. I got some stuff that I need to make right. He said, you know I'm dying. I said, yeah, yeah, you're, you're dying. He said, I... I need to know what, what, you're, what you believe. My kids are telling me that i got to make this right with God before I see him. So I shared the gospel with him. Plain, simple. Like, he never heard, he's heard Jesus before, but never in the context of the gospel. Explained the gospel with him. It took like five minutes. Short, sweet, to the point. I said, now, what do you want to do with this? I said, why'd you call me in here? He said, i, I got to make things right with God. I said, yeah, you probably do. Um, could you put your cigarette down and we could talk a little bit more? So he said, uh, he said, okay, what do I got to do now? And I said, well, what do you want to do with the information? I said, what do you want to do with, with the news that Jesus loves you and gave his life for you, lived a sinless life for you, died for your sins? Are you going to accept? Do you want that? Or do, what do you, you want me to go home? What do you want? Do you want to pray about it and think about it? What do you want to do? So now I want to make it right now. Okay. Well, do you want me to pray and you can follow me in prayer? Because the guy's never prayed before in his life. I'm certain of it. And, and he said, no, no, I'll, I'll pray. Okay, all right. So I bowed my head. And for about 20 minutes, he used me sitting by his bed as a, his own personal confessional booth. He told in his prayer, just closed his eyes, and he just started talking to God like Jesus was in the room with him. And he started confessing stuff I'm sure he's never told anybody before. I didn't feel like I was old enough to sit in this chair next to his bed as he was confessed one thing after another, affairs, relationships that he's had on the road, stuff like the cheating, lying, all this stuff. He's just letting it go. And about two-thirds of the way through his prayer, he just starts bawling, just starts bawling so he can barely talk. I'm listening to him, and then I can't understand anything I'm saying. I'm sure it was as blue as the stuff that he was in at the beginning, but he was just letting her rip. At the end of it, he said, okay, what do I do now? And I said, well, you need to thank Jesus for forgiving you of your sins. So he thanked Jesus for forgiving him of his sins. He's just bawling. And then uh, I said a little prayer. And then he opened his eyes, and I said, how do you feel? And his face is just crinkled from crying so much. And a big smile comes across his face. He said, I feel good. I said, really? And he starts laughing and laughing and laughing. He starts belly laughing in his bed. From this ball of tears to this jolly guy laughing in his bed. And he's laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, I have no idea. I'm just so happy. I said, well, good, good for you. We talked a little bit about more what that means and what he can expect when he dies. They put him on hospice care. And within days, he was to the point, you know, you've seen this, when he couldn't talk anymore. He called his family around as often as he could. I was there several days. I can remember standing beside his bed as he was laying in his bed in his living room where he could barely talk and he would try and talk to his kids, the ones that didn't know the Lord. And he would try and explain to them what he did. And he always wanted me with him when he explained it to them. And he would try and get it out and he could not talk and they could not understand. And I'm certain... I'll see that trucker in heaven someday, but the last few moments of his life, he was desperately trying to get his kids to understand what he had done in the hospital. And he couldn't get it out. I did his funeral, and I talked about his transformation in a hospital bed with a cigar dish by his oxygen tank. And I tried to get his kids to understand. To this day, I don't know if any of them did, but I do know this. Every once in a while, we get a small glimpse of what it means to be changed. Just small. Not anything major, just a little glimpse. You've seen it in relationships where you've shared Christ with people or you've shared truth with people and they're broken and they understand and they get it and you've seen a little change. You've seen a little snippet, a little part of glory. But I want to tell you that is nothing compared to the change that you are about to see someday when you see Christ face to face. We might be laughing for all eternity, but it's going to be amazingly good. 
In this world, we see little snippets of it, but someday you will live in pure, unstoppable joy. And I can't explain it to you, and I don't think Lazarus could. I know Paul couldn't, but someday it's a reality. Because if you're justified, you're as good as glorified. And those who have left us that we love, who know Jesus as their Savior, they're already enjoying being with Jesus. And someday they will be glorified too. And we'll all be together, one family, free of sin, forever for eternity, with Jesus as our victor. Am I good? We always finish with communion, which we do again today. This is like the easiest transition to communion of all time. (laughs) Because were it not for the death of Jesus Christ, your time in heaven and eternity in the new kingdom would not be possible. It only is because of what Jesus has done. That's why every Sunday, if you're wondering what communion is, this is the best explanation. The juice in the cup, is a picture of the blood that took to forgive us of our sins. The bread that we eat is a picture of the body that he lived in so that we could be forgiven of our sins. A sinless body and sinless blood that pays for our sins. Not for ours only, but for the sins of all those before us and all those who will come behind us. All those behind us and all those who will come after us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, they're all washed away. But you have to know Jesus as your Savior. That's what the Bible means to be in Christ. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never experienced that change the trucker had, maybe not that drastic, but if you've never experienced a change where you have given your life, if you've never been, Jesus calls it, born again in this life, then you will not experience the reality of glorification after life. And when Jesus comes back, he will not come as your savior. He will come as your judge. Your time will be up and you will have wasted your life. So if you don't know Christ as your savior, don't take juice and bread this morning. Talk to me. I want to give you, or, or talk to Mark. Mark's going to be up front in, uh, with, with our prayer team. You can talk to them about how you can make Jesus Christ your Lord and your savior. All right, the guys are coming in. Kids are coming in. Find somebody that belongs to you or we'll admit it. All right. If you do know Jesus as your Savior and you go to another church, we have open communion here, which means we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So we want you to take communion with us. Celebrate Jesus' death for our resurrection to come. All right? And we want you to do that. Uh, Celebrate the victory that we get to live in because of what Jesus has done. Before we do anything, though, we're going to just take a moment and... uh, Spend time privately in prayer. Give you a moment to kind of clear your thoughts and clear your mind and maybe spend some time with the Lord. And uh, this morning I think it would be very appropriate to thank the one who won the victory so that we could live in his victory. So let's take a moment and do that this morning.